0: rapt attention I better explain for those who are listening to a recording of this morning that on the screen is a picture of a girl what would she be two years old she's actually being held up to look at a butterfly by the way don't ask me what kind of butterfly I've been wondering you tell me afterwards just with that sort of wide eyed look Something new. Something she was seeing for the first time. And it makes all the difference. I heard about a boy. He'd be older than that, about six. Standing, gazing at a bed of tulips. Regimented as only tulips can be. In a a public park. Standing there with his hands behind his back, staring. And someone overheard him say, Well done, God. (laughs) That is wonder. Now, during July and August, we're looking at what David, that's David Dunlop, has called alternative iTunes, selected psalms. And if there is a psalm which should conjure up wonder in us as believers... It must be Psalm 139, a psalm of David. You'll find it on page 628 of the Pew Bibles, but I'll be going between the NIV and the New Living translation. Because when I first read it, now that must be, I suppose, nearly... 20 years when the New Living first came out, I was greatly struck just by the, the whole tenor of the way in which that translation makes David say what he says. And what I want us to do is read it together in sections. I won't ask you to stand like David does, but I have it on the screen, and I want us to read it as a prayer, because that's what it is. The prayer of praise and worship. And we'll read it like that together. First six verses. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I am far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand. Well there, of course, we have the wonder of God's knowledge. Did you notice how many times David says, You know. Five times actually in that section. Now, it's not just a a theological term like the omniscience of God that the psalmist is trying to explain to us there. David personalizes the thought. It's God's knowledge of me that's so striking. God knows what I do. Look at verses 2 and 3. When I stand up, when I sit down. In other words, in all the routine mundane activities of every day, Look what David says, from afar. David knew that God reigned in heaven. That could be far away. But he'd said in Psalm 11, the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. And yet, he knew that even from afar, God still knew all about him personally. God knows what I do. God knows what I think. Look at verse 3, verse 4. Verse 4 especially. He knows what I'm going to say before I say it. He knows my thoughts. He knows every word I speak. That's why we need to pray constantly, as David the psalmist said. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And look at verse 5. God knows what I need. In fact, David here uses the, the idea of being hemmed in. Hemmed in by God. God knows exactly what I need. And He surrounds me so that He can supply my need. And verse 6 sums it all up, doesn't it? Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't understand it. But that doesn't stop me from enjoying the reality of it. Here's a thought for your own meditation. Our Lord Jesus Christ is all-knowing. When He was on earth, He was challenged He'd been teaching and the teachers of the law, the very pinnacle of Jewish society who knew their Bible back to front, said to themselves, they were criticizing him, knowing their thoughts. Jesus replied. And another occasion when he had driven out a demon, the Pharisees were saying, this man's Driving at demons by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. Jesus knew their thoughts. Just something for you to think about. Now, let's read the next section. Together. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day, Darkness and light are the same to you. Here's the wonder of God's presence. Again, it's not a theological term that David is trying to talk about the omnipresence of God or anything like that. It's much more personal. Is it possible to go to a place where God will not be present? And maybe there's a hint that sometimes David would have liked to escape from God's presence. Well, you think of the Bathsheba, Uriah incident. And of course he wouldn't have wanted God to be there. But God was. The NIV says, where can I go from your spirit? Living Translation puts it slightly differently. I can never escape from your spirit. Of course, there were people in the Bible like that, weren't there? I thought immediately of Adam and Eve. They'd just eaten the forbidden fruit. And then they'd hidden themselves because they they knew of their condition. And then we read, The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Do you think God didn't know where Adam and Eve were? He was simply saying to them, I know where you are. Where are you? You can't hide from me. And then I thought of Jonah. Jonah commissioned by the Lord to preach against the great city of Nineveh. And the Bible tells us Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, the other end of the Mediterranean. But in the belly of the whale, he discovered he hadn't got away from God's presence. He was singing, well, was he? He was saying that psalm. That long psalm we have in in, in Jonah chapter 1. And in the end, when he was vomited up on the seashore and God gave him the call again, he knew God was there. Yes. Sometimes we human beings do things and perhaps we hope that God isn't there to see us. But of course, He is. Now, at the same time, David acknowledges The encouragement he receives from knowing that God is there. Even there, wherever he may be, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. In other words, wherever he is, God's Spirit is there to help. I thought again of two examples, this time from the book of Genesis, the more well-known one first of all. Remember Jacob leaving Beersheba in the south. Well, he had to, in a way, to escape from his brother Esau. But he was also told to go and get a wife for himself way up in the north. That would have been about distance, the whole of Ireland, from Cork up to Marlin Head. And he hadn't gone very far when he laid at a place, the Bible said, and lay down to sleep with a stone for his pillow. It's no wonder he dreamed. There was a ladder. We have the well-known Jacob's Ladder. The pathway to heaven, and angels ascending and descending on. And God appeared to him there. and God told him about the future. And when Jacob woke up, he said, "Surely the Lord is in this place." And I wasn't aware of it. He thought God was with his father, Isaac down in Beersheba, but God was there with him. And God told him he'd be with him everywhere he went. What a wonderful discovery. And I thought of perhaps what isn't such a a well-known example. Hagar. Hagar hired to be a kind of child carrier for Abraham and Sarah. And then when Sarah discovered that Hagar was pregnant, she treated her very badly. And Hagar ran away. She sat down by a well and there the angel of the Lord appeared to her. And the Lord told her, all about the baby she was going to have and what kind of a man he would be. And Hagar cried out, You are the God who sees me. God was there with her in her plight. She was lying by a well and that well she called the well of the living one who sees me. God is there. Look at verse 8. Height and depth don't matter. Look at verse 9. East and West don't matter. Look at verse 11. Light and darkness don't matter. God is there, whatever the conditions may be like, in whatever condition you are. So I've been saying the, the truth of God's presence may be frightening when we sin, but can also be very reassuring. I've talked to you about Harry in Lakeside before. Early days, he sat there just by the door in his armchair. And every time we came in, and in the early days that was three times a month, every time we came in, he would say, Brother, brother, I have a verse for you. I I have a thought for you. And one day he produced a note. I keep it in my Bible. That's it. He won't mind me reproducing because he's gone to be with the Lord long ago. And very laboriously he had put down what were to him precious things. Probably you can't read it, but that last one at the bottom says, Safety is not the absence of danger, but the presence of God. Brother, safety is not the absence of danger, but the presence of God. And the verse he inevitably would repeat for us, you know very well because I've talked about it before to some of you. In Isaiah forty one ten of course in the authorised version it had to be for him. Do you know it? Do you repeat it? Do you say it? Fear thou not, he'd say to me on Sunday, for I am with thee on Monday. Be not dismayed on Tuesday, for I am thy God on Wednesday. I will strengthen thee on Thursday. Yea, I will help thee on Friday. Yea. I will hold thee with the right hand of my righteousness on Saturday. And they look at me and say, and there's the whole week through. I am with you. A thought for your own meditation. Our Lord Jesus Christ is all present. Remember what he said to the disciples gathered around him before he was taken up into heaven? And surely I am with you. You. All of you. Plural. Every one of you. Always. To the very end of the age. Wherever we may be. Wherever your friends and family are. He's there with them. I like to think that of our our missionary family. You think of people as I say, Peru. As I say, Nigeria, Uganda, Spain, do they with us this morning? England, the one that was with us this morning, Russia, Nepal, do the little family are here in Ireland at the minute. Wherever our missionary family may be scattered, God is with them. Our Lord Jesus Christ is with them just as much as He is with us here now. Wonderful thought. So, we have the the wonder of God's knowledge. We have the wonder of God's presence. Let's come to the next section. It's on two slides. Read it together. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I knew it! You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God! They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Here is the wonder of God's power. God is all-powerful. But again, it's interesting to note the example of God's omnipotence that David takes. Not the universe, not the sky, not the sea. Though he talked about those in the Psalms. But here he talks about himself as he developed in the womb. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. The ultra scan there is of the latest addition to our Windsor family. At 12 weeks. Or I would prefer to say Roughly minus 24 weeks. That's Lucy Dean. David, not her father David, but David the psalmist, refers to being made in the secret place, being woven together in the dark of the womb. And the revelations of modern medical science simply reveal What David couldn't see, but what he knew was happening. The wonders of God's creative power. So David says in those words, I suppose, some of the most well-known words, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you ever say that to yourself? I know I'm, I'm sure the medics among us do as they see the things that go on in hospitals. Notice the double use of the word wonderful or wonderfully. This isn't the mass production of a distant designer, but of one who is intimately concerned with my existence. The New Living puts it like this. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And I find that very encouraging. Now, some people want to construct all sorts of theological truths from this verse. But uh, I'm encouraged that no less a theologian than Spurgeon himself wrote it would be unwise to found any doctrine upon the English words of this verse. To me, it's simply but profoundly showing God's knowledge, God's interest, God's love for me as an individual. He knows the end from the beginning. All, every day of my life is recorded in your book. And my times are in his hands. And I find that very comforting. And David seems to confirm that approach by how he continues, and I've Bring it out again for you. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the, the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Notice the psalmist wondered at all this. David's wonder at all this. That God was actually thinking about him. In more ways than he could imagine. David went to sleep. But the one who never slumbers nor sleeps had David in his thoughts all the time. Has you in his thoughts all the time. And at the same time, I think there's more than a little hint of resurrection here. Because back in Psalm 17, David had written, And I, in righteousness, I will see your face when I awake same clause exactly I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness so not only for the present when I sleep and wake, but in the end when I awake I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness here's a, a, a thought for your own meditation what happened there our Lord Jesus Christ is all-powerful. That's Minson, I referred to before he was taken up to heaven. Jesus came to them and he said, All power. The word is authority. All power. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that. Now, let's read the next part. O oh God... If only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. O Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred. For your enemies are my enemies. Strange section. Doesn't seem to fit in with the rest of the psalm. It seems that in the middle of the overwhelming reality of God's knowledge, presence, and power, David suddenly remembers the, the persistent opposition and wickedness of his enemies. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Here's the wonder of God's judgment. But this outburst doesn't imply pure spite. Though David might have been forgiven for calling down God's wrath on those who had persecuted him so cruelly. Saul, though he never did. No, his strong language comes from his devotion and zeal for God. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Anyway, however we may feel about David's sudden outburst, the Bible makes it clear that God is all holy. And He hates sin. I suppose one of the best known verses in that era is Isaiah 59 verse 2, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you that He will not hear. And although God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, still He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. That is Jesus Christ. Let's think about that in solemnity. And take this rather strange section into our hearts as well. Well, I thought about that for your meditation and I'm simply repeating. Our Lord Jesus Christ is all holy. The same text exactly. For God has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. And the Savior who came to the world will be the judge who will come to the world in the end. Did you learn the Apostles' Creed? Sunday school? Church somewhere? I did in those days. And part of it says, He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick, the living and the dead. Solemn words. Let's finish the psalm. As David finished it. With a direct prayer. Reading together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Here's David's response. And it's interesting that David goes back to verse 1 of the psalm. He began the psalm by saying, Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. And now he's saying, search me. Search me again, O Lord. Know my heart. My heart. How I feel about things. My motives, my desires, my reactions, my loves, my hates. Know my heart, Lord. Search me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. My thoughts. My mind. How I work things out. How I make judgments. How I make plans. How I make decisions. Test me. And David says... See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Our response? Something like this? Lord God, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, (coughs) all-holy, search me. Test me. Lead me. Let's spend just a a few minutes thinking about that in quiet meditation.